All right, the book of Titus again tonight, Titus chapter number 2, Titus chapter number 2, and a couple of other prayer requests for me to mention to you, pray for Miss Chrissy Whitman, they were, uh, she's been taken to the hospital to run some tests on her, uh, pray for our missionary uh, missionaries, the Ruckmans, Mrs. Angie Ruckman, uh, has had, um, had to, they had to come off of the field because she has a blood infection, and it's not clearing up as, as quickly as they, they thought it might. And so I continue to pray for her. Pray for Mrs. Deborah King. The Kings uh, joined about within the last couple of years. Many of you know them. In the past, she has had leukemia, and they're concerned that it, is, it has come back. And so uh, she is, they're running a bunch of tests on her. I spoke to them yesterday. And so her immune system is real, real low. And so I know they haven't been able to be here, but do pray uh, for them if you would. And it's good to have all of the guests. It's good to have my oldest daughter, Alyssa, uh, home for a few days. And so pray for Colin uh, while she's away. My son-in-law, he has to, to live off of Hot Pockets and pizza rolls. And so uh, pray for uh, him. Uh, but uh, it always is good to have uh, our family home. Titus chapter number two, I, if you haven't forgotten already, uh, I pre- preached out of Titus one Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then as I've just been doing some personal study, there's a uh, study I want to teach tonight uh, out of Titus chapter number 2. And I'm going to take the time to read the entire uh, chapter of, of Titus chapter number 2. And uh, my plan is to teach the entire chapter tonight. And so um, I will teach a summary of the entire chapter tonight if we get bogged down uh, then uh, I will um, um, just cut it off and we'll pick up uh, next week. Uh, but I think this will be a help to us and uh, certainly remind us of some things. Uh, Titus chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. They may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, (coughs) to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Aren't you thankful for that? And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. This night I'm going to take, tonight I'm going to take this chapter, and I'm going to teach on this subject tonight, the pastor's priority. The pastor's priority. We're going to see some things from a pastoral perspective, but it also is going to help us as a church uh, as to what the church is supposed to do, the focus of the church. I believe this will be a help to us tonight. Father, I pray that you would use your word. Uh, What an amazing book that we have, your perfect word. And Father, I pray that tonight it would be a help to us. I pray that uh, it would be an encouragement to us, but we'd be challenged by your word tonight. And Father, in a world of distractions, May we keep our focus on your mission as this church. Uh, May we keep our focus uh, on our Savior. And Father, may we make a difference in this world for the cause of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sunday, we spent Sunday morning and Sunday night in chapter number 1. And I'll just remind you, give you a summary of chapter number 1. We're reminded in verse number 5 that Paul sends Titus to Crete. Uh, He tells Titus that I'm going to leave you in Crete because there are some things that need to be set in order. Um, As we saw uh, in in chapter number one, uh, Paul goes on to assess the situation in Crete. There was a great need 
uh, of the gospel. There was a great need uh, for Titus to be there. Uh, there was a tension that needed to be uh, taken care of. And we spent a little bit of time uh, looking at the condition. I remind you what was, was said. Uh, they, there, there were some false teachers. There were uh, those who were uh, the, the Judaizers, and then those who were taught uh, those were false teachers. Now, I remind you what Paul writes about the Christians, that they're always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And even one of their own says, yeah, that's pretty much how the Christians are. And it, so we see the condition. There's a great need. Then we, we see, saw the solution as well. Paul sent Titus, his son into faith, a man who uh, had grown underneath uh, Paul's influence. He sent them there. Think about this. He must have had great confidence in Titus. Uh, he must have had great uh, hope in what Titus would accomplish for the cause of Christ. And some of those things to set in order, he gives them command that he needs to enlist others under uh, him. And we have some of the um, uh, characteristics or requirements, if you will, of a pastor, uh, of his family. There are some things that are required of him. And he was going to, uh, he's supposed to use them and use them throughout Crete uh, to have the right kind of teaching so that the gospel might be preached and so the cause of Christ goes forth. So now that is chapter number one, as Paul writes. Now he turns his attention in chapter number two to giving Titus instructions personally. And Titus is going to receive instructions by the hand of the apostle Paul. And I'm reminded of this in passages of Scripture just like we see tonight. And I hope that all, all pastors and preachers are reminded of this. We are to operate. We're to function. We're to lead as the Scripture commands us to, as God instructs us to. And so uh, as we look at what Titus and the directions that he is given to Titus, I believe uh, we can see from a, uh, two viewpoints. This is going to help you know what is required of your pastor. But it's also, I believe, going to help you understand uh, so why we do some of the things we do. Your role in all of this. Uh, the, it doesn't work if you have a pastor with no people. It doesn't work if you have people with no pastor. It works the way God wants it to work when pastor and people are on the same page uh, trying to accomplish the same thing. We are blessed at the Emmanuel Baptist Church. We have a wonderful spirit. We are truly uh, a family. And what a wonderful thing. We can get things accomplished for God when there's no conflict. Matter of fact, let me just remind all of us, there's a lot of there's turmoil outside of the church walls. That's where it needs to stay. Uh, this is, this is, you know, we're not having political rallies in here. I'm going to remind you, I'll, I'll say things that are pertinent from time to time, but we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Let me just remind us too: keep your drama out there too. Don't bring your drama in here. Uh, it, it, this is supposed to be for the Lord's work. And so we're going to see tonight how when the pastor fulfills his responsibility and the people fulfill their responsibility, wow, there's some wonderful things that can be done for the cause of Christ. When Jesus returns or he calls me home, I want to have made a difference. I want to have made a difference. I realize that God has me as the pastor of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I believe uh, he's got me there until he takes me home, and whenever that is, or if Jesus returns, but whenever it is that I'm not the pastor anymore, I wanted to be in good condition based on what God is expecting. I want us to always, what I mean by that, I want us always to be reminded there's a generation that comes behind us. There's, a, there's a gen, two generations the Lord tells us come, come behind us. One day, none of us are going to be here. And what we do now is going to determine the ability for those that come behind us for the cause of Christ. Let me get into the outline. I've got uh, six uh, things I want to point out to you. Some will be longer than others, and so don't, don't be discouraged if by 8.30 we're still here. Um, no, we're not going to be here at 8.30, um, I don't think, but let's, let's jump into it. Number one, I want to see in, in verse uh, number, uh, well, let's, let me just give you the point number one. We find the, the preaching and the product Chapter 1, as we've already said, Paul is telling Titus he's, where he's sending him, why he's leaving him there, and the condition of what he needs to do. He turns personally to Titus, notice verse number 1, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Titus had a responsibility as he preached, as he 
led the church as the pastor, as he had influence over these others who were going to enable him. Uh, he says, but speak out of things which become sound doctrine. Uh, we find that uh, the instruction, the preach, his preaching was to be about sound doctrine. I mentioned this some on Sunday. It's good for me to mention it again tonight. Uh, we live in a day when doctrine has be, been de-emphasized. God never de-emphasizes Bible doctrine. Matter of fact, it's the emphasis. We are warned. Say, Pastor, how do you know that we're in the last days? Is it because Biden's president? No, it's because we are told that the day is going to come when people will, so-called Christians will put their fingers in their ears, figuratively speaking, and they don't want to hear the truth. Tell me a fable instead. The instruction is to continue to preach the word. Doctrine matters. I am a Baptist for a lot of reasons. The main reason being because it's the most popular thing. No, it's right doctrinally. We ought to be right doctrinally. He said so, sound doctrine, sound doctrine. We see next, as is preaching, there should be a particular product. Now, this point number one is going to take a few minutes, but I won't, it's important. Look at me at verses 2 through 5. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be a behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now he, Paul writes to Titus and said, you have a responsibility to speak that which is sound doctrine. Now we get a sense of the product that is desired. And this is where God's people, yes, they need to receive the doctrine, need to become doctrinally sound. I understand, you know, it's good, it's okay to say, well, I, I know I'm a Baptist because my pastor is, but you need to learn why you're a Baptist. You need to learn the doctrine. You need to know what the Bible says. But then there's a product. This is very important because I think many times, uh, it, generally speaking, in our churches today, we look and we say, well, the pastor needs to do what he's supposed to do, and I agree with that. But the church, to be advanced, is not just the pastor's responsibility. I, I, wanna, I, I don't want no, you can say this, I don't want no one of these dudes as a pastor. I want somebody who's holy and prays and does a spiritual person. That's, 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 a, that's a reasonable expectation. But is it unreasonable for a pastor to want people like that to pastor? It's not unreasonable. Now, here's the role that we can start fitting in. We're going to cover everybody. First, we see the aged men. Now, you can decide if you fit in that category or not. If you have some question about it, if you'll see me after the service, I'll, I'll help you with that. But I, 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 certainly that means older, but there's some seasoning. There's experience. You've been down the road a little bit. You've learned some things the hard way. You've learned some things by your own mistakes. You've learned some things by somebody else's mistakes. You've learned some things by just experience. The aged men, the older men, are to set it, this is the product, be sober, serious-minded, grave, temperate, being in control of their emotions, decision-making, sound in the faith, in charity, in patience. As a man, a saved man, as part of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, God's church, let's not look at whether you fit the aged category yet. But the other things that are mentioned, do you fit in those categories? I just don't know what my goal should be. How about that? Because all the men should either be setting an example of that or those that are younger following the example that is set. For decades now, God's blessed this church. This has been what we call a man's church. Even in 2022, in the, in the day of woke, yeah, this, I still think this is a man's church. It should be a, a, you know, lead, lead by, by example, by men. 
Men are still supposed to be the head of the house. Supposed to set the example. We have, we're blessed because we have a lot of aged men. And men who have been faithful, served the Lord for a long time. We're blessed because we have a younger generation. The younger generation, there's always a danger. Instead of following the older, aged Christian, following each other. Can I just be as blunt as I possibly can be? That's stupid. But it's a tendency that we have. Because, you know, it's popular, or this is what this person's opinion is, or this is what, you know, I saw on, on social media, it's probably this and that. You know, and don't take this the wrong way. That's, that's bad when you have to preface it like that, isn't it? But, you, you know, you got two 19-year-olds together. One of you is not much smarter than the other. And I'm not trying to pick on you tonight. It's not possible at 19 to have lived the life of somebody who's 40. It's not possible. God knows, and I've, and I've, had, to do this, I've had to use this counsel with a lot of young, young adults, single adults, even young couples. I've had to say to them, it's okay that you don't know. That's why God gives you leadership. Because you don't know. And you have all the adults and leadership. Oh, yeah, I know. We didn't know when we were your age either. That's why there's the example of the aged, those who have lived a minute. I thank God. I thank God for the people of this church. Um, I'll use the, the deacons as an example. I, I, I'm not against these things. I'm not against... Uh, you know, preachers' fellowships and things of that nature. But I feel like the men that I serve with, my staff and the men of this church, are just as godly, and they're my people. Sometimes I sit in that deacon's meeting, and as I'm getting hearing feedback, it's like, well, these are really wise men. Really old, but really wise men. Um, what am I saying? That's an example of aged men. And that's not to say if you're not a deacon that I don't consider you in that category. We have a, a seasoned church. We have seasoned men. You that are young men, whether you can, young is a relative term, much like aged is, you'd be very wise to follow the example. I look around the building tonight, and there are many who serve in the shadows, many who, who do different things. You'd be very wise to follow their example. You'd be very wise to say, hey, have you ever thought about, you got to listen. There's something to that. And by the way, that ought to be your goal, aged men, um, to set that example, to grow in seriousness, to sound in the faith and charity and patience. Now, then it turns to the, that, that's, 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 that's a goal. That's what I want for the men of this church. To grow to be an example to those that come behind. If we do that, it, it can keep going for generation after generation after generation. It turns to the aged women. Now, I like to look and just make some observations because I think God ordered everything in the Bible for a reason. But Titus deals with the men in one verse. It takes the next three verses to deal with the aged women. But notice, let me read. I don't have to, I've taught on this before. I don't want to take time to teach off through it tonight because I want to get to everything else. The aged women likewise, that they may be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Well, that means the word of God not be blasphemed. For us to say, oh, we're Christians and we're serving the Lord, and then we're none of these things. If you're going to get on social media and slander somebody, please don't tell them you're a member of the Emmanuel Baptist Church. Matter of fact, please take Christian out of your bio. Because it's an embarrassment 
to the cause of Christ. Same principle for the aged, the, the experienced, those that have lived longer. Late, late young mothers, young wives, let me give you some help. Yes, the Bible tells us how we're to conduct ourselves and how, what we're to do. The Bible tells us who we ought to follow. It'd do well to somebody who has reared their children for the Lord. It'd do well to listen to them as opposed to go pulling a random book off of the shelf of a bookstore. Just say it. This is a great, and there are some good books out there. But when you've got examples like you have in this church, you're foolish not to follow them. You're foolish not to listen to them. And at the same time, aged women, it says to teach them. It doesn't say go around poking your nose in their business. I just felt like throwing that in there too. Example. Oh, example is a word that needs to be revived. The aged women, likewise, they be in behaviors becoming holiness. You know, and I'm, I'm going to touch on this very, very quickly. Um, there's a couple book I've printed, and I'm going to print that I'll touch on this a little bit, and so to say more in there if you want to know more. But it's the pastor's job to teach the doctrine. It's the head of house responsibility to teach the doctrine. Men, fulfill your responsibility. So what, what are women supposed to teach? There's a list right there. When that's mastered, then we'll talk about teaching doctrine. Um, I'll, every, what, what I'll further illustrate this. This does not mean that a woman doesn't know what she believes. That's not what I'm teaching at all. But we, we need young ladies to be taught how to be young ladies. This world's not teaching them that. We, we, we need people to know what, what God has said, and there's no greater responsibility, there's no greater opportunity than those who have lived it and it can say, boy, I have the blessings of God. If you do things the right way, God will bless. Here's, some, here, here's the way you do it. Set that example as an aged woman. If you're, un, if you're younger than that, um, follow that example, and so one day you can be that example. Um, in, in the, just to follow up on something I just said, um, you know, as we teach our, our Sunday school, we've in the past we have, can't have all of our um, departments now because of space. We have a ladies department. We have several ladies classes. Um, so what do they teach in there? They teach the lesson that I write, uh, because what goes on in the church is is responsibility from the top, top all the way down. Uh, because it's my responsibility to make sure doctrine is taught. But can I tell you, some of you ladies, how you can help if you'll teach some. So they, they won't let me teach them, be an example. Find somebody who will. That's why I love some of the things that we do. I love the, the, the Christian Ladies Fellowships, and, and we have the, uh, we all have the, the overnight trip coming up in, in, a, in a little bit and all those kind of things. It's ladies getting, being able to get together. The, the men's things that we do, it's men being able to get together. And, 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 you know, I know what it is. Young couples don't want to hang out with old people. Uh, they don't want to hang out with mom. You get you know adult children. Don't be like, hey, you want to? No, okay. Um, but there's an example there. Have I covered this enough? Maybe I haven't. Okay. <laughs> We're still in number one. Don't let me let it discourage you. The preaching and the product. Look at verse six. We've talked about the aged men, the aged women. Everybody okay? Look at verse number six. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now. Here's an admonishment to the young men for that generation to grow up. Young men, don't get upset at your pastor when I push you to grow up. We had, in generations past, we had 18-year-olds, you had 17-year-olds lying to get into the military so they can go fight. And now we can't get 30-year-olds out of their mom's basement. Don't, don't, don't get upset. And by the way, Church in general, don't get upset when you're pushed to be an example. And this is what you ought to be. But young men, grow up. I'm not going to add, if you're 18, I expect you to be 18. But if you're 19 or 20 and 21 and 22, don't act like you're 15. And by the way, everybody matures at, at different levels. I understand all of that. But you should at least be in the same maturity as your decade. And this is, what's ha this, is the, this is a problem in our churches today. 
We have many that don't want to set an example. In some places, you walk in the average church around the country, and you have an old faithful generation, and that's it. And what's happened is the generation underneath has refused to follow the example of that older generation. You've got to follow the example. You know what you need to do? You need to grow up. I'm not saying you don't have fun. I'm not saying you don't, you don't enjoy life. You know that I want you to enjoy the thing. The, the th- God wants you to have an enjoyable life. That's why he gives us the instruction he gives us. But when it comes time for God's people to be sober, you know, there's a generation, and, and I'm not going to get through all of this, and that's okay. We call that greatest generation, that World War II generation. Say, well, those that joined at 18, it's, and they went to war for those, and, and they were gone. And, and even generations after that, you have, you have these other wars, and they didn't have their young adult years. Yeah, they made sacrifices because the time demanded it. We look back at them and we hold them in high esteem as we should. Many were newlyweds and they left behind a, a wife and, and, and small children and they missed the first steps and they missed all of those things and many didn't return home and, oh, they made the sacrifice and we, we should hold them in high regard. Is that what they wanted to do? It's what was demanded of them. Can I make this application tonight? We live in a time in our nation when if you'll permit me, the time dictates that young men and young ladies make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. If that generation had not made those willing sacrifices... This would be a much different nation than we live in. Now, I'm telling you what we're reaping the benefits of, or or, or we're reaping the decisions of the last 20 years, and it's not getting better, it's getting worse, of a generation of Christian young people who says, I don't want to make the sacrifices. I want to do what I want to do. After all, I should have my young years. After all, I should have. But the situation might dictate that there's the cause of Christ that needs to be propagated. And now you have some of those same people have small children complain about how bad America is and they ran from their call. I'm going to move to point number two. Don't run from it. Be sober-minded. Be ready to step up. Be ready to do what the Lord wants you to do. What's wrong with you? If this is good for everybody, what's wrong with just using your life to see how many people God can use you to keep out of hell? What if I was a Sunday school teacher? If I were to bus route, that means I wouldn't be able to go play. There's nothing wrong with, with having a hobby. In, but at some point, are we at a place in our nation and in the world where there's got to be a generation that says... We'll just have to make the sacrifices so the generation behind us still has a Bible. Still has church doors that are open. Still has a nation that we can serve the Lord. Where there's the, the preaching and the personal product, I've got to hasten, number two, you see a, and I hope this helps you understand the emphasis your pastor pushes. I'm going to push. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't understand. It doesn't mean I wasn't 18, 19, 20, 21, 25, 26, but I have a responsibility. And you can help your pastor by being that example. You can help your pastor by saying, okay, it's time for us to do something for the cause of Christ. I don't want to do less for the cause of Christ. I want to do more for the cause of Christ. Number two, we find a personal example. Look at verse 7 and 8. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. says, Titus has an admonition. In all things, showing himself a pattern of good works. It is true of the pastor today. He's to show himself as an example. Now, you know this to be true. Your pastor is not a perfect man. 
Now, some of you do look shocked right now, but it's true. Um, he's not a perfect man, but I should strive to be an example. That's one of the many, many things wrong with this contemporary crowd. It's like the, 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 the man of God, the pastor, is supposed to dumb himself down, carnal himself down to the point where he's supposed to be, I'm not better than any of the people. If you've got to go around telling everybody that, of course you're not better than anybody, but it has nothing to do with that. You don't want to be an example. You don't want to set a standard for somebody else to follow. Paul did say, follow me as I follow Christ. He has an admonition to set a personal example. Is it bad for any of us to set a personal example? Is it bad for anybody to say, I'm just going to live at a higher standard of living? Too many Christians today are saying, what is the most, what's the least amount that I have to do to still be considered serving? Why don't we say we're going to rise to a higher standard? And I'll emphasize what I think and what I know you know to be true. Your pastor's not perfect. Your pastor has weaknesses. Your pastor gets tired. Your pastor gets weary. I'm a man. But I'm going to do my best to live at a higher standard because I'm supposed to try and be an example to the point where nobody can point their fingers at the example of the pastor. In other words, oh, you preach it, but you don't live it. That's why there's a lot of pulpits that are silent on holiness. Silent on separation. Titus isn't just given responsibility to to hold somebody else to a standard. He's given the admonition to hold himself to a personal example. Number three, we find a good student. Look at me in verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, there's a list of things that he's supposed to do and, and, and learn, but notice where he's, notice verse 12, teaching us that. Okay, who's teaching? Verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. The grace of God is the teacher. Um, the natural man, the, the man before salvation, as we are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, but we're still flesh. We still have a carnal nature. Many of you could think back to when you got saved many, many years ago, and in some cases decades ago, and the change that's taken place in your life. What taught you that, or who taught you that? The grace of God. It just this pops in my head. If you have a if you have a problem with your temper, you know what can help you teach you to keep it in control? The grace of God. You have a problem with saying things you shouldn't say, you know what can help you with that? The grace of God. We don't depend on the grace of God as like we should. We don't depend on the Spirit as we should. He's the teacher. What are we to be learning? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Don't, don't, don't go along with it. Deny yourself. Keep, keep, keep things away from yourself. We're ungodliness, worldliness, and ungodly lust. Well, if it's worldly, we should stay away from it. If it's ungodly, we should stay away. Why? Because it's all lustful. Well, I just don't want to know. Your lust is in control. We ought, there's things we ought to deny ourselves. Oh, too many times we as Christians, our flesh is in complete control. We need to deny or what that's how do you learn how to do that? The grace of God. Through the years, it's one of the joys as a pastor, one of the greatest thrills I have was watching God make a change in somebody. Because you know what? This pastor can't make a change in anybody. Mom and dad, this will help you. You you have a child who's struggling spiritually, you can't make a change in them. The Spirit of God can. Uh, watching what, 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 what has made that change? The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Also teaches us to live soberly, seriously, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's still right for a Christian to live like a Christian. It's still right for a Christian 
to act like a Christian, look like a Christian, talk like a Christian. It's still right. When church doors are open, Christians are still supposed to go to church. I know it's 2020. It's still the right thing to do. That's what we should be striving for. And by the way, you can't do those things. You can't live soberly, righteously, and godly if you're not denying ungodliness and worldly lust. If you're not going to deny those things, let me say this, deny deny those things access to you, you're not going to live the, the way that we should live. That's what it all comes down to. The right influences in our life is what is going to ultimately have control. If the average Christian, the average Christian, I believe we're above average, but the average, but I think this would still can be applied. Now, if the average Christian took their smartphone and flushed it down the toilet, they'd be closer to God. Now, you apply that as you need to apply it. Why? Because there's, there's many cases we don't deny things. Man, but before, back in, the, back in the, you know, some of you aged men and women back in the good old days, that's how you know whether or not you're in that category. You talk about how good it used to be. Wasn't that way when I was growing up. Yeah, that you're in that aged category. Just, just going to throw that out there. Um, you had to go looking for it. But now we carry it in our pocket. I'm not preaching and I oh deal with him. He's really, I thought he lost his rocker off his rocker before. He's really, he's preaching against smartphones. No, I'm saying you need to be wise enough to deny ungodly ungodliness access to you. And mom and dad deny it to your children. Because if you want to live righteously, there's some things you gotta deny. If you're gonna live soberly or seriously about the things of God, there's some things you gotta not give access to you. Live soberly, righteously, and godly. That'll be our goal. So how are we going to learn how to do that? We've got to be a good student. Who's the teacher? The grace of God. Well, he teaches us things from his word. He gives us the application. He gives us the strength to do it. He makes the change. Number four. I'm moving quickly now. As I... Look at this admonition to Titus. I see number four, living with expectations. Too many times we hear those who are critical of what the Bible teaches, and we hear those who, quite frankly, don't want to do what I just mentioned, deny certain things. They want to talk about expectations. There should be less expectations in, you know, the church demands too, too high of expectations, and the church doesn't have expectations. The Bible does. But you and I need to get used to living with expectations. How many of you are employed tonight? Let me see your hands. Okay. Do, does your employer have expectations? We know our wives do, but does your employer... Have it. Yes, of course. This is the expectations I'm talking about. Look will be at the end of verse number 12. We've already seen the things we should deny. There's, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Notice that last phrase, in this present world. Our citizen, if you're saved, how many of you are saved tonight? Okay? Your citizenship is not here on planet Earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. But we live in this present world. We're not going to have to deny ungodliness when we're all in heaven because it's not going to be there. We are going to live righteously, soberly, all those things because we're going to have a glorified body. This corruption is staying behind to put on incorruption. That's going to be a wonderful time. But while we're in this present world... There's things that we need to deny. There's, there's, there's things that we need to do. But I'm talking about living with the expectation. You cannot put this in proper context until you go to verse 13. While we're in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. While we're in this present world, what are we looking for? 
We're looking for the return of our Savior. So every day, I've got to deny myself things. I've got to live a certain way. And how do I do that? But by the grace of God. He's the t- that's the teacher. While I'm in this present world, I have an expectation. I'm looking for Christ to come back. And there's, there's, it's so important that we as Christians anxiously wait for his return in the sense that we're expecting it, we're longing for it, uh, we're looking for it, because quite frankly, if you believe Christ is coming back today, you're probably going to keep some things in order that need to be in order. Paul also writes in another passage, he writes to another son of the faith, Timothy, warns him about being entangled in the affairs of this world. If you're not looking, if you're not living with expectation, you become entangled, and those entanglement, it may be things that are right, maybe things that are wrong, keeps you from doing everything you should do. Why? Because we're not living with expectation. Right now, today, my feet are firmly planted on, on planet Earth. I am living in this present world. It is 2022. There are things going on all around us. I'm still supposed to live soberly, righteously, godly. How do I do that? I deny all these things. What's going to help me do that? I'm living with an expectation. I'm not doing it for down here. I'm doing it for up there. I'm going to do it today because when I meet my Savior, I want to have have the best relationship already that I could possibly have with Him. I want to be, I I don't want to be raptured out of the pig pen. I don't want to be raptured in the far country. I want to be raptured serving the Lord, living as I should live. That'll be all of our goal. Live with expectations here in this present world, but you're looking for that blessed hope. Now, I've got one minute to get through two points. How many of you think I can do it? Well, you're very optimistic. <laughs> Number five, I'm going to mention these as quickly as possible. Number five, we find a motivation to works. Look at the end of verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Praise the Lord for that. And purify unto himself a peculiar people. Um, I'll explain that at another time, but some of you got that peculiar down. The peculiar people, notice this next phrase, zealous of good works. You know what we need in our churches again? Zeal. Well, I'm not saved by works. Nobody's saying you are. We, we quote Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace are ye saved. Then we go on, that not of works, lest any man should boast. But if you go one more verse, it does say, For we are his workmanship unto good works. We've been saved by the grace of God to do good works. And we as Christians ought to be zealous about doing good works. Zeal, that passionate ardor in the pursuit of anything. We have zeal. For capitalism, we have zeal. For our sports team, we have zeal. For our career, we have zeal for everything today except for the work of God. Except for doing good works. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be zealous of good, motivated to work. Titus should be motivated to work, and he should motivate those people to work. Oh, you got a gr- bunch of lazy, rebellious you got a generation in some of these situations that are just rebellious, lazy Christians. Well, in, in the past, that generation, they drove us too hard. And good thing Titus wasn't your pastor. Good thing the Apostle Paul wouldn't come into town for a revival. I, I don't have to explain that things ought to be done in a right way, but there ought to be some zeal. Some zeal. Don't get upset with somebody because they got more zeal than you have. We've got to be zealous unto good works. And by the way, we have a lot of ministries where you can serve in. And however the Lord impresses upon you to serve, I want you to serve. Uh, I want you to do what God wants you to do. But we do not have a ministry where somebody walks around with a bucket of cold water and dumps it on other people's zeal. Now, sometimes zeal needs a brain to go with it, but that's a whole other Bible study. 
But, you know, you can teach somebody with zeal. It's hard to do something with somebody who knows everything, but they don't want to do anything for God. Number six, we find duty and respect. Look at verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You say, well, there's certainly somebody there despised Titus. What that means is the office that he held. Say, so well, I, they could despise him all they want, but let me give you some context. We find duty and respect. The duty, what was his duty? Speak and exhort. You know, we have, too, quite frankly, too many pastors today who won't speak when they should speak. Too many times in... in, in you have, it's not that way here, thankfully. Pastor, won't you just tell me, well, if that's what, you, that's what you feel, then that's okay. Now, I can't make decisions for you. I won't make decisions for you. But I do have a responsibility to tell you. This is right, this is wrong. If you go this path, this is where it's going to lead. Go this path, this is where it's going to lead. This is how I see it, based on my experience, what the Bible says. I'm to speak and exhort to build. You know, a, 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 a coach is going to motivate. He's going to say, let's go do something. He's going to say, go take four laps. Some of you are afraid I'm going to start doing that. Oh, you weren't singing? Four laps, go. That would make it pretty entertaining. A pastor is so much more than a coach, although some have turned it into that. It's supposed to be challenging and exhorting and speaking. Notice what the Bible says. Do you believe the Bible tonight? And rebuke. <gasps> you don't mean it. Some of these woke Christians, they just read the Bible. They cure them. Don't get mad at the pastor because he rebukes. Um, with all authority. If I, when I stand behind this pulpit as the pastor of God's church, preaching out of his book, I've got authority. It's not my authority. This is where we make the mistake. Some men get full of themselves and think it's their authority. It's not their authority. I, I have no th- authority outside of God's authority. I mean, if, if you want to go on vacation to this state or this state, you don't have to call me and say, is it okay I don't have that authority. Now, if you want to take me with you or pay for me to go, that's a whole different story. But the authority I have is God's authority, standing in his stead. So when a man gets up and says, thus saith the Lord, you need to listen. Now, when I get up and I, I, I use illustrations and I, I give you a hard time about certain things, like, you know, some of you I think are still offended because of the, the football references and all of those kind of things recently, you know, and I, don't, I'm gonna help, I want to help you get over that. So I'm just going to keep bringing it up until you're over that. I don't care. I really don't care about any of that. When it comes to God's book, as I'm going to give an account. Every life, I'm going to give an account. I made up my mind a long time ago, I'd rather have you mad at me than God mad at me. Um, The authority that is God's, and that's the key, with all authority. Paul, as an apostle, was commissioned by Jesus Christ. Paul commissioned Titus. Titus has God's authority to set those things in order and rebuke with all authority. What is it saying overall? No compromise. You know, sometimes as a preacher, you can say, man, we, we got it. I wish that, man, if I could only been in the day, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, when you just threw gospel tracts out of the window and everybody came, what must I do to be saved? And everybody, you know, everybody's error is a little bit, you know, it's better. Man, I look at Crete. They're liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. And he writes, as we've already seen, 
Even one of their own says, yep, that's us. It's like, a, it's like a badge of honor. That's us. Wasn't an easy task, but he said, no compromise. Friend, there's no compromise with the Word of God. There's no compromise with doctrine. There's no compromise with what God has laid out in His Word. You and I must stay with the Bible. Boy, it's, it's great reminders and truths of the responsibility that Pastor Titus had that were to be taken seriously. Still true for the day we live in, but it also gives us an understanding of how this is God's church. There's a work that we want to do. There's a work that we need to do. There's a lot of people who depend on what we do. There's generations to come that are counting on what we do. What do we need to do? Those of you that God's been good to you through the years and now you would be in that category of the aged, be a good example. Don't quit. It's a tragic thing when you wouldn't quit, you wouldn't compromise when your kids were 12 and 13 and 14. But it's a tragic thing when the compromise comes when the grandkids come. No compromise. You know, I, I, I'm very careful to box myself in, box myself in, box myself in, because I don't want to give me any room to compromise this book. Hey, let's, let's stay faithful. God's blessed us, hasn't he? Think about the fact that Jesus saved us. We don't deserve that. He would make a change in us. And this... this this gets me out of bed every day, not just the fact that he saved me, but I have a chance today to make a difference in the life of somebody. It could be a member of my own family. It could be a complete stranger that I run across their path during the day. In my case, it could be one of, the, one of my church members who texts me and say, Pastor, can you pray? And somebody the Lord can put in my heart and I can write a note, drop it in the mail. I have an opportunity. God would use my life to touch the life of somebody else. Hey, God may, God, remember what's going on in our nation. It's the salt. It's the light. It's not the, it's not the majority. God's people. Let's be faithful. Let's see what God does with us in the future. Father, I